Welcome to Red Pill Revolution. My name is Austin Adams. Red Pill Revolution started out with me realizing everything that I knew, everything that I believed, everything I interpret about my life is through the lens of the information I was spoon-fed as a child. Religion, politics, history, conspiracies, Hollywood, medicine, money, food, all of it. Everything we know was tactfully written to influence your decisions and your view on reality by those in power. Now, I'm on a mission. A mission to retrain and re-educate myself to find the true reality of what is behind that curtain. And I'm taking your ass with me. Welcome to the revolution. Hello and welcome to Red Pill Revolution. My name is right on my shirt if you're watching this video. And if you're not, my name is Austin Adams. <laughs> I don't know how you uh, found the shirt in the mall. I think it was like $7 um, at some random store that the music was too loud. Um, and I don't know how you pass a shirt with your name on it for $7 and not get it, right? So anyways, there's your logic. But this is episode number 13 of Red Pill Revolution. And thank you so much for joining me. I, I really can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Th this um, only being on episode number 13 and only being relatively, I mean, three months into this, um, I found out that you guys and, and the, the nation and this world, the country that I'm in and, and all over the world, we there's like 29 different countries that is listening into this. It's unbelievable to me how thirsty the world is for this information. Um, so without further ado, episode number 13 of Red Pill Revolution. Today, we are going to talk about um, some very, very recent events, some things that happened breaking news today. Um, and that's it's going to be a very current episode for you guys. So um, I hope you enjoy it. The very first thing that we're going to talk about um, is the Prime Minister Boris Johnson um, going into their newest um, release of a uh, basically releasing themselves of all of their COVID restrictions. Um, we're going to talk about, you know, kind of the history around that and how that feels to be the United States who had uh, kind of broke apart from Great Britain. And now to see the totalitarianism has kind of wore a new hat under our banner. Um, and then we're also going to talk almost at length today. A lot of this is going to be about the actual Biden uh, interview that was today. If you don't know, um, tomorrow, I believe, is, is the anniversary, the very first year of the Biden administration. Um, and he did a, an hour long interview, hour and 20 minutes, I believe. Um, about, which is longer than I think I've seen him answer questions his entire presidency. So um, we'll, we'll dive into some of those questions, some of the information, and then we're going to talk about the Russia situation. Um, so stay tuned. It's going to be awesome. There's going to be some great information for you guys, and I hope you enjoy it. But first, as always, I need you to go ahead and press that little button on your screen. Um, just the one that says, it starts with an S, I believe it starts to sub, subscribe, something like that. You know, go just, just press that for me real quick. I'd appreciate it. Um, you're awesome. I know you just did it anyway. So, you know, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Go ahead and subscribe. If you haven't already, every single week we put out new episodes, um, whether it's current events, whether it's historical accounts, um, and just kind of reframing your mind to understand and, and view today, um, some of the ways that people have been manipulated in the past and, uh, try to kind of clear that, clear that, uh, slate kind of that, you know, those glasses that you were given through, um, you know, 
the, the history that we were given in school through our parents. Um, it was kind of all misshapen. So um, go ahead, press that subscribe button. You know, every single week we're going to be putting out episodes. And if you haven't already, go ahead and join our Substack. On our Substack, you're going to see every single video, the links to everything that I'm talking about today, um, all the articles, all the CIA documents, all of that stuff right in our Substack every single day. The, the very next day after I release the podcast, I release the podcast companion, which includes all of the videos, all of the articles, all of the documents, um, even some bonus material. And um, eventually we're going to be start putting out some more video content there too um, that you can't get unless you subscribe. Now, if you do subscribe, you can. there's a couple different options. The first thing you can do is subscribe for free. And I appreciate that. It's, it's, I think it's so cool to be able to connect with you guys um, and share with you, you know, the information that I'm interested in, the topics that I'm interested in, kind of obsessing over for the week. Um, and then I also do a deep dive article where I write out, you know, pages and pages of uh, information that I look into um, to go over the topics that I discuss in the podcast at length in an actual, you know, written setting. So um, if you subscribe and are a paid subscriber for just $7 a month, it's about a dollar and 50, you know, 70 something cents <laughs> a, a week. Um, if you're a paid subscriber, you get the deep dive. You only get the deep dive if you're a paid subscriber and it only costs $7. And really that's the only way um, that you can really support us at the moment besides donations and merchandise. So um, go ahead, sub subscribe to the channel, subscribe to that Substack, And if you can, um, you know, show me that this is worth something to you, that $7 would be awesome with that paid Substack with the podcast companion. That's all I got. So the first video that we're going to jump into today um, is going to be Boris Johnson, the prime minister, talking about the newest uh, update on the COVID restrictions. Um, and I find it to be, if, if you know the history of the United States, I hope you do, at least to, to a certain sense, um, how puzzling, alarming this is um, and how all of our founding fathers must be just absolutely rolling over in their graves right now, um, realizing what has happened to this nation. Um, so let's go ahead and watch that together. So this morning, the cabinet concluded that because of the extraordinary booster campaign, together with the way the public have responded to the Plan B measures, we can return to Plan A in England and allow Plan B regulations to expire. As a result, from the start of Thursday next week, mandatory certification will end. Yeah. Organisations can, of course, choose to use the NHS COVID pass voluntarily, but we will end the compulsory use of COVID status certification in England. Yeah. From now on, the government is no longer asking people to work from home. Yeah. And people should now speak to their employers about arrangements for returning to the office. And having looked at the data carefully, the Cabinet concluded that once regulations lapse, the government will no longer mandate the wearing of face masks anywhere. Yeah. Mr. Speaker. <laughs> Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, from, from tomorrow, from tomorrow, we will no longer require face masks in classrooms, yeah. and the department and the Department for Education will shortly remove national guidance uh, on their use in communal areas. In the country at large, we will continue to suggest the use of face coverings in enclosed or crowded spaces, particularly when you come into contact with people you don't normally meet, but we will trust the judgment of the British people and no longer criminalise anyone who chooses not to wear one. 
The Government will also ease restrictions further on visits to care homes. And my right hon. Friend, the Secretary of State for Health and Social Care will set out plans in the coming days. Wow, that sounded like a party. I want to be there. That, you know, <laughs> compared to what we're about to watch with Biden talking, um, that seemed they were all hype. You know, it sounded like they had some beers before they went out there. <laughs> um, but you know, every every single time, it sounded like they were all raising a glass when he gave a new restriction that was relieved. And those are like people who are a part of of their you know government system. So that's pretty funny how how they were just reacting. Um, but uh, but you heard it just there. You know, England is now going away from any mask mandates. They're going away from any mandatory um, vaccination. Uh, you know, showing your vaccine card to be able to work. They're going away from working from home. They're going away from you know uh, school restrictions or mandates for children. Anything at all. They're they're going away from all of these things. Um, and to me, the, the, the part of that, that's so alarming, we, you know, you, you, you think about the United States and it sounds, it feels like we've, you know, been a country forever, right? It, it feels like the world has never existed without the Americas, especially with the way that, you know, Western culture has influenced the world. Um, but that's not the case. We, we're a fair, we're you know, one of the fairly newest countries in the world. Right. We're, we're what, 300 years old or so. Right. You know, 1776, 2022, you know, do the math. We're a very new country. Um, and, and to see that, you know, within several, uh, you know, several hundred years, few hundred years, not even several. Right. Um, we completely lost our way. Right. We are now, you know, the, 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 we are what we so feared. Right. We are our government now has become one that is more totalitarian than the one that hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people from all over the world fleed from, fleed from, you know, the, the, the Queen's monarchy and the totalitarian ways that they had in, in the UK and in Great Britain and, you know, that area. So it, it, it's crazy to me. And, and to think about what, what would our founding fathers think? What, what would they think right now if they you know, George Washington rose up from the dead and, you know, was sitting here watching the discussion of Joe Biden talking about how they're going to keep restrictions and how you need a third booster. And, um, you know, all of these restrictions are remaining in place. And yet England, the queen of England and parliament and, and this prime minister decided to completely relieve their citizens of any, you know, of their totalitarian, um, you know, decisions for them. I couldn't, I can't imagine what they would think. I, I, I absolutely cannot fathom how they would feel knowing that while, you know, the today's Great Britain is, is completely mandate free, the United States still is imposing vaccine mandates for healthcare workers, which is a whole nother conversation that we really should get into. The fact that that's, you know, that the, the healthcare workers, the, the, the individuals, the, the, the single sector of the country who is educated specifically on making medical decisions is no longer able to make medical decisions, not only, you know, for their patients, but, but specifically for themselves, for their own medical decisions, for, for their body. Um, and I know a lot of people who are affected by this, you know, nurses, doctors, um, surgeons, there's a, so many people who are, who are going to be affected by this. And, and, and truly what that's going to come down to, you know, talking about the chain of events that can, that can happen, um, what that's going to come down to is, is healthcare workers no longer um, being employed who, who hold that belief to be true and, and aren't manipulatable based on, you know, finances or, or a job position. Um, 
they're gonna they're not gonna work for the hospital settings and, and we're gonna have a shortage and then they're gonna fucking they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna complain about that shortage and then pin it on the people who are unvaccinated. Well no, it was because your dumbass decided to let people who are vaccinated and COVID positive still work, but you won't even let the people who had COVID and have immunity and have antibodies um, but are unvaccinated not work, who aren't sick. It, it absolutely makes no sense. So um, crazy to me, the fact that we're sitting here watching, you know, the prime minister, Boris Johnson, talk about they're done with any mandates, done with any restrictions. And yet on that same day, our president of the United States right now, is sitting in front of a, a group of uh, reporters and uh, saying how, you know, you need to get boosted, right? It, it, it's crazy. So let, let's go ahead and we'll dive into that conversation real quick. Let's go ahead and, and watch some of the videos of the Biden, you know, kind of compare and contrast, you know, that party in the pub um, with Boris Johnson to what we're going to see here with Biden, um, because it, it's, it's kind of a stark difference. And um, when we go into these, you know, this, these questions and answers with Joe Biden, it, it, it is truly, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's so concerning to me. There's no other way to put it. It's so concerning to me that somebody with the, what little mental capacity and capabilities that this man has left to even finish a sentence, let alone make world-changing decisions in a time of where we're on the cusp of, of potential war between Russia and Ukraine and the effects that that's going to have on NATO and the effects that's going to have on the United States and on, you know, the fact that this man is in power, um, and obviously he's not in power, right? He's being manipulated and, and he couldn't, you know, if, if he didn't have his cue cards in front of him, and you're going to see that on this video, you're going to see every single time he has a list of people that he's supposed to call on for questions. Um, and he, he obviously probably... I say probably because he already has it in front of him and you can tell he's looking at this piece of paper to answer these questions. Um, so, but with, you know, let's jump into it. Well, uh, President Biden on the coronavirus, uh, we're uh, tragically approaching nearly 1 million Americans who died. Um, and I'd like to ask you um, why it is during your three and a half hour virtual summit in November with the Chinese president, you didn't press for transparency and also whether that has anything to do with your son's involvement in an investment firm controlled by Chinese state-owned entities. The answer is that we did, I did raise the question of transparency. I spent a lot of time with him and he, uh, the fact is that they're just not, they're just not being transparent. Transparency on the coronavirus origins. Yes. So Biden just said, you know, the, the original question asked by this guy wasn't, in fact, a softball because it's towards the end where he didn't wasn't calling specifically on people. They were kind of taking the mic. Um, but he said to him, you know, why, why did you not push for transparency? And he wasn't very specific in the initial question, obviously, but that's why he elaborated um, mid response by Joe Biden to make sure that he's sure that he wants to answer this question this way. So what this reporter said was, why did you not push for transparency regarding the origins of COVID-19? And does it have to do with the fact that your son is taking millions of dollars from Chinese corporations, which are directly attached to the Chinese Communist Party? Why didn't you push for transparency regarding this leaking from a lab is what he just asked. Is it because your son is taking millions of dollars from this country's government? And he says, I did push for transparency. And then we'll watch this here. And he, and he asked him again, right? Hey, can you clarify? I mean, on COVID, the origins. And he says, yes, I asked for transparency and they didn't give it to us. 
So even Joe Biden, and as he just showed in the way that he answered this question, Joe Biden, the president of the United States, is now admitted to questioning the origins of COVID-19 and believes enough to ask China Chinese officials if it came from a lab in Wuhan, is what he just admitted to. All while every single person is still being censored for talking about this on social media. All while, you know, people within Senate and Congress are being ridiculed for even mentioning the idea of it coming from a lab. All while media outlets are skewering, uh, you know, podcasters and Joe Rogans and, 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 and Substack writers and who are talking about these things honestly. Um, our, the President of the United States just said that he believes it enough to ask the leader of the Chinese Communist Party, whether or not it leaked from a lab. And he said, they won't give us transparency. And then says, not shit about Hunter Biden, obviously. But let's, let's watch it through. Transparency on the coronavirus origins. Yes. And it, you did during yeah. the virtual summit. Is there a reason your press staff was unaware of that? And what did you say to well, the Chinese president? And they weren't with me the entire time. Look, I made it clear that I thought that China had an obligation to be more forthcoming on exactly what the source of the virus was and where it came from. Yes. So there's a full answer. He just admitted to specifically questioning the Chinese Communist Party regarding the origins of COVID-19. Now, where do we go from here? What does that mean for all of the censorship, all of the narrative enforcers, all of the fact checkers um, that have come in and said that this is an unfounded conspiracy theory, right? Are we all going to fact check those people? Do they have to tell the truth now? Do they have to redact that information and correct their information and say, hey, the president of the United States is actually looking at this seriously. Maybe we should too. Or were they all full of shit the whole time? And because their narrative has broke down so much and because of those military documents that were released by Project Veritas recently, have they had to step back and say, yes, we are investigating this and we're investigating it very seriously because, you know, when you guys said it, you know, it must have been wrong. But until we say it's truth, it's not truth. That's why you can't do those things. And they've instilled doubt in people so much by doing that, right? That, you know, the media companies that have, you know, the, the, the fact checkers, the narrative enforcers have, have lost the people. They've lost the people over pushing these narratives that they knew the entire time we're incorrect. We're factually incorrect. And then beat you with a, you know, censorship stick if you said shit about it. Where do we go from here? Right? What does this mean? If he gets to go in a, in a you know, in, in front of reporters of every single media outlet, every single media, major media outlet that's allowed to be in there, right, is in there. And he's answering this question talking about the origins of COVID-19. This should be everywhere. And I guarantee you, this, from what I saw, this is not a specific question that everybody was raising questions about so far. And maybe they will, and hopefully they will. Um, but I haven't seen this clip anywhere yet. And I've seen a few clips come out. And I had to watch this entire thing, an hour and 10 minutes. This is an hour and 10 minutes and, and 30, you know, 34 seconds now is the end of it. But um, I believe it was about a minute he was answering that question. So if you want to watch the whole thing. Um, but none of this information is anywhere and nobody's mentioned the fact that the president of the united states just admitted to questioning the chinese communist party regarding the origins of covid 19 coming from a lab in wuhan but if i put this full clip on instagram tomorrow or wherever tomorrow uh 
you know, it's going to get no views because I'm going to get shadow banned for even using those words, right? Even still today, after our president addressed this situation in front of all of the major media companies. But you can't talk about it, right? You're not allowed to say those words, right? You're not allowed to question their narrative. It's unbelievable. So the next thing I wanted to show you here is a little bit of a Freudian slip, I think, with Biden. I, I, I do think that there was a little bit more to what the statement is, and, and we'll talk about what it could have been here. So, so watch this clip and, and, and see if you see what I see. Um, let's, let's look at it. on COVID, if you don't mind, you touted the number of Americans who are now fully vaccinated with two shots. But even some of your own medical advisors say that people aren't fully protected unless they have that third shot, a booster. Why hasn't this White House changed the definition of fully vaccinated to include that third booster shot? Is it because the numbers of fully vaccinated Americans would suddenly look a lot less. No, it's not that at all. It's just it's just this is this has become clear and clear. And every time I speak of it, I say, if you've been vaccinated, get your booster shot. Everybody get the booster shot. It's the the optimum protection you can have. You're protected very well with two shots. If it's the Pfizer. Anyway, you're protected. Did you see it? What he just said there was a parrot, a parroting of the interview with the Pfizer CEO directly, who said, if you have two shots, you have virtually no immunity. But if you have three shots, you, you, you got a good chance. And that's why he said Pfizer there. Make no mistake about it. This man, just this man being the president of the United States, just had a Freudian slip, a subconscious slip from him at some point seeing that clip. Joe Biden at some point saw the president, the CEO of Pfizer, talking about how two shots makes you not very immune. And then three shots, that booster really does it for you. Um, But then he backtracks on it. That's why he as soon as he said Pfizer, he realizes that he messes up and he immediately starts to backtrack because, you know, and and you have to kind of, you know, understand that what is going on in his brain is not generally what's going on in me and yours. There's not this continual train of thought and all this uh, that you hear from him is him. You know, this is the same way that, you know, I forget the name of a, a word and, you know, somebody has to interject and tell it to me because I'm, you know, have a you know, a brain fart. This man's entire life is a brain fart. (laughs) Everything that comes out of his mouth, he has no idea what he's going to say next. That's why you see there was, there was some slip ups between his, his conversation about Russia. There was some slip ups about his conversation regarding, um, obviously in this case, the Pfizer and the boosters. Um, and I truly do believe, I truly do believe that Joe Biden saw the clip, saw the clip of the CEO of Pfizer stating that two vaccines were are now ineffective and that there's a need for a third for any effectiveness because the Pfizer CEO said it gives very little protection if if any at all about two vaccines but three vaccines that booster is really going to get you there although what we found out now is the third vaccine the boost the, the boost as they're calling it which is the stupidest marketing ploy in in history um, the boost uh, it really gives you immunity Right now that this one uh, until it doesn't. And then we can have a, we're going to have another one for you and you better take that one, too, or else you're not fully vaccinated. And, and now you're, you're on the team of the conspiracy theorists. 
So let's look at that again. And then we're going to actually watch that Pfizer clip because I think this is important. I, I, I truly 100% believe that, you know, kind of breaking down the way that this man's monkey brain is working over there or not lack thereof working. Um, <laughs> it, what he just did was reference that video with the Pfizer CEO. And you'll see why in a second, if you haven't seen that video already. Um, so watch this again, make note of his speech pattern here, make note of how he uses the word Pfizer specifically and make note of the sentence structure. Cause he almost directly parrots the Pfizer CEO. Um, so watch it one more time and then we'll watch the Pfizer CEO specifically talking about it. And then we'll talk about that. It's the, the optimum. And every time I speak of it, I say, if you've been vaccinated, get your booster shot. Everybody get the booster shot. It's the, the optimum protection you can have. You're protected very well with two shots. If it's the Pfizer, anyway, you're protected, but you are better protected with the booster shot. The definition right now. I'm. And if you didn't just hear that, that was the reporter reminding him the actual question, um, because he went off on a tangent referencing this this Pfizer CEO statement regarding two boosters. He, and he, he tries to correct this Pfizer statement because obviously there was some conversation around how this is, you know, fueling the disbelief within the vaccine in, in his war room with his constituents um, or with his advisors. Uh, so you see him trying to, you know, subconsciously, uh, you know, I, I don't know if this was his doing or somebody else's, but he either had a Freudian slip and he's mentioning this Pfizer CEO's conversation where he says that two vaccines do nothing and that you need a third. And he tries to combat the CEO of this company while mentioning this company's name and say he's incorrect. So he's directly, and, and I don't know whether it was a, a Freudian slip and he was just trying to, he was parroting the CEO's statement just in a way that he thought was positive instead of negative, or if he was directly trying to combat that. Now, I don't think that he is smart enough to do that. I think that he was, and, and you know, it's, it's hard with Joe Biden. You know, he, he's, it's hard to look at him and not have a little bit of uh, empathy for this old man who has no right being in this position, who is obviously severely declining mentally. And, it, you know, his dementia or Alzheimer's or whatever it is that he has is going to progress as a result of all of this stress and, and all these things. And I truly do um, fault, you know, the fact that his wife is allowing him to go through all this is, is horrible because, you know, anyways, back back to it. Let's let's go ahead and watch that the Pfizer CEO's uh, statement here. And, and I did actually have to go to um, I had to go to Rumble for this uh, and and to, to get this video because you obviously cannot find it on YouTube. Who would have thought? We know that um, the three the two doses of the vaccine offer very limited protection, if any. The three doses with a booster. They offer reasonable protection against hospitalization and deaths. Uh, uh, in, in against deaths, I think very good, um, and less protection against uh, infection. Now we are working on a on a new version of our vaccine, the 1.1. Let me put it that way, that uh, will cover Omicron as well. And uh, of course, uh, we are waiting to to have the final results. The vaccine will be ready in March. 
So, we, uh, you know, we know the first two didn't work, but this third one's going to work, and, you know, we know that one's probably not going to work, so we're coming out with another one. <laughs> so, just to, just to talk again about that speech pattern with Joe Biden and, and how this was subconsciously, or consciously, but that's less believable to me, um, was subconsciously referenced by our president. Um, let's look at that first statement again. Then we'll go back and look at Joe Biden's because I think this is 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 it, it, you have to kind of break it down this way because it was you know ten seconds of a statement. So real quick. Uh, and we know that um, the three the two doses of the vaccine offer very limited protection, if any. The three doses with a booster, they offer reasonable protection against hospitalization and deaths. Uh, uh, in, in against deaths, I think very good. Um, and less protection against uh, infections. Now, if we go back and listen to Joe Biden talk about it one last time here. Protected very well with two shots, your booster shot. Everybody get the booster shot. It's the, ob the optimum protection you can have. You're protected very well with two shots. If it's the Pfizer, anyway, you're protected, but you are better protected with the booster shot. And and so you see it. That's exactly what just happened there. He was in his mind trying to kind of his wires were crossed, but he was referencing this Pfizer CEO statement that's been viral, you know, pushed around the internet with millions and millions of views. That by now, I guarantee it. Um, where he's saying that you know two shots aren't going to do it for you. Well, well, well they, they will. Pfizer. And then he throws Pfizer in there because, you know, his, his wires are crossed here. Um, but I found that to be really interesting that there was this little Freudian slip and you see him immediately backtrack, immediately stop his, his sentence and immediately change the topic once he says the word Pfizer because he realized what he was doing. Um, interesting. Don't know exactly what to make of it. Like I said, it could have been a subconscious thing, could have been a conscious thing. Um, but either way, that's exactly what just happened there. All right, so the next thing we're going to look at is going to be one of the statements that he made um, regarding, uh, you know, whether or not he's outperformed him, his expectations here. So let, let's watch this clip here. Inflation is up. Uh, your signature domestic legislation is stalled in Congress. In a few hours from now, the Senate, uh, an effort in the Senate to deal with voting rights and voting, uh, voting reform legislation is going to fail. COVID-19 is still taking the lives of 1,500 Americans every day, and the nation's divisions are just as raw as they were a year ago. Did you overpromise to the American public what you could achieve in your first year in office, and how do you plan to course correct going forward? Why are you such an optimist? Look, I didn't overpromise, and but I have probably uh, outperformed what anybody thought would happen. The fact of the matter is that uh, we're in a situation where... Uh, we have made inflation. So he says, I have not. <laughs> um, I've actually outperformed what anybody thought. Yeah, yeah, because we thought you'd be dead by now, Joe. <laughs> we thought you'd be dead by now. And, and we thought Kamala Harris was going to be put into power. You're right. You absolutely outperformed all expectations because we absolutely thought you had much less time on the clock than you've showed us with the last 365 days. <laughs> um, but other than that, he doesn't even go into it, into why he believes that he's outperformed, you know, 
his expectations. The only way that that's true, because he has a, his, you know, they, they pull it up on, on this clip here, around the full one when I, that I was watching earlier, um, that his approval rating's at 40%. Which a 40% approval rating for a president basically means, you know, the, the widely accepted, you know, in like political science, widely accepted percentage for, for basically a, a completely ineffective president is like 41% is generous. And 43% is like, yeah, you're not getting anything passed. Nobody believes in you. You don't have the sway. Um, you know, and you see it later on when he's talking about Russia, that, that everything that this man says is just, you know, pillows um, that, that he's throwing in a, in a gunfight. Um, it, it, the fact that he wants to sit there and smugly say, you know, I've outperformed everybody's expectations for me. Yeah, maybe you're right, but not in the way that you think, um, you know. So I, I just thought that was funny that, that he thought that, you know, he's done so incredible of a job at this point um, that, you know, we, we don't even have to talk about it because he doesn't talk about it. In this entire interview, the, the whole time he shows you how bad he is tactfully um, at answering questions. And, and this is the reason he's been hidden away in, in you know, some uh, probably some, you know, uh, scientific institution where they're, you know, testing all sorts of you know, uh, chemicals on him to see if they can bring back his livelihood or his liveliness and ability to speak or actually maintain a, a sentence structure. Um, but <laughs> there's a reason they've been keeping us away from him for so long throughout this entire year, because this is probably one of the only times that I've seen him outright stand and answer questions there, you know, and all of his piss poor uh, tries at being funny, like, oh, you're an optimist, huh? Like, you know, I get it, but still it, it it's, it's sad to see, and, and, and it's crazy to me that you know he he, he the the part of, the best thing when you when you read about leadership, and uh, you read about the, the qualities of a leader, and, and you don't even have to have read about leadership, but if you do, if you read about any books about leadership, um, you know, any books, Jocko Willink, you know, it has it in the title for you, um, extreme ownership. Right. If things aren't going the way that you want them to, taking extreme ownership for those things that have not gone the ways that you want them to tends to put you in a better light in the public eye. Right. But sitting here and acting like there's no problem, saying you outperformed all expectations when you have a 40 percent approval rating, one of the lowest of any president ever, especially one who got more votes than any other president in the entire history of America. Doesn't look good. Right. So, you know, to me, it's, it's really telling. It's really telling how, you know, his, his, his poor ability to, to lead and, and his terrible way of, of trying to, you know, in, incite some kind of like confidence in the public. I, I don't know what he was trying to do here. Um, you know, the, the public would have went, you know, and, and anything he does, a certain percentage of the right is going to disagree and say that he's doing terrible. And, you know, but if he would have came out here and said, I know things aren't going great. I know, you know, inflation is, is unbelievably high. I know we're on the cusp of watching Russia just obliterate Ukraine and we're going to do nothing about it. I know that you're paying more in gas than you have since I was in office last. Um, you know, I know these things. I understand these things. and I'm doing the best that I can today to try and make this situation better for you, better for our country and better for your family. But he doesn't do that. He says, I know everything's great. Everything's great. Don't don't look at those numbers. Don't look at the statistics unless they come from my website. Um, you know, don't don't look at those. Those aren't real. What's real is what I'm telling you, and everything's great, right? But people are smarter than that, and people don't appreciate being 
gaslit by the president of the United States. We know things aren't going great. We're well aware of this, Joe Biden. We're, we're, we very clearly know you are not doing a great job. We very clearly, we, even the polls, the polls that they put up in this video say that you have a 40% approval rating. How is that exceeding all expectations? What, what was your expectation for your approval rating? Especially after getting more votes than any president in history. Imagine that. One year. One year into getting more votes than any president in history. 80 whatever million votes that he got. And you have one of the lowest approval ratings of any president ever? How does that work? How does that work? How, how does that even happen? Right? And then for you to sit here, stare at a camera, stare at these people asking, real people asking you these questions, real Americans concerned about you know, the job they're losing because they're, they're not willing to you know, bend on their moral compass for what they inject into their body. Real people who are concerned about how they're going to pay it four or five dollars a gallon, especially if Russia invades Ukraine, the gas prices may skyrocket. Um, how are you going to stand in front of a group of people? Not even just a group of people. Obviously, it's not a group of people. This is the entire world is watching this. And Putin's watching this. You're going to stand in front of everybody, all of the government leaders, the entire world, and say, I'm doing great. Close your eyes. Don't pay attention to all this stuff that's happening. I'm doing wonderful. All you have to do is believe me. And, and, and it's so amazing to me that what he ran on was unity. What he ran on was, you know, the divisiveness of the Trump presidency and, you know, America has been divided for the last four years and I'm the one to bring them together. But all he's done, every speech, every every quote that I've seen from him regarding, you know, when he's talked about the January 6th uh, museum tour, right? When, when he discussed that, you know, when he discussed um, President Trump calling him a loser, and this was recently, this was like a month ago, or not even a month ago, like two, three weeks ago, and then co comes on here and, and even still pointing fingers to, to, to Trump today, saying that he's the reason that he can't get anything passed. No ownership at all. And, and, and I, I kind of take this philosophy, and this will be a side tangent for you, but I, I kind of take this philosophy that, you know, it, it even if it's not 100% my fault, even if there's, there's, there's things that I couldn't have changed about a situation and things that were out of my control and, and, and things that you know, happened that I, I couldn't have corrected and, and made a better outcome with, you, to me, philosophically, you know, at least in the way that I need to live my life, or at least in the framework that I need to operate in when, when I'm you know, in a day-to-day -day basis to try to move the needle of my life towards a better direction instead of a worse direction is always taking ownership. Always taking ownership of the things that you do, even if, if, especially if you're the president of the United States and people are asking you policy questions. But even if not, even if it's about parenting or even if it's about, you know, work or even if it's about, you know, your business or, you know, uh, whatever, you know, passions that you're trying to grow, whatever that is, if things aren't going your way, you have to take ownership 100% have to take ownership for those things because if you don't then it's out of your control there's nothing you can do even if there's there is things that are out of your control within that situation the outcome always has to be your fault because if it's not your fault when things go wrong it's not your fault when things go right and you can never take ownership for the good things so in order to take ownership for the, the, the good things that happen to you, in, in order to be able to actually celebrate when things go right in your life, you have to absolutely take ownership when things go bad in your life. 
And, and if you don't, you can always use that scapegoat. You always have a scapegoat and you never have to look deep into yourself and, and kind of take a, you know, fine tooth comb to your personality or, or, or to your uh, belief systems or to your work ethic or, or to your, you know, whatever it is that you need to work on. You're never going to be able to work on those things if you don't address that they're there. Right. And this is from like a parenting perspective. This is from an individual perspective. This is from a, you know, but, but even more so if you're the president of the United States, you have to take ownership when things don't go right. And if you don't, people aren't going to believe in you because when are you going to tell me that you're doing a bad job? Or would you ever tell me if you're doing a bad job? Right. If, if inflation's up, whatever percentage it is right now, and gas is up, you know, to $4 and you know, the cost of meat and, and literally everything else within the United States is skyrocketing and shelves are empty. But the president of the United States is sitting here saying everything's going great. Okay, if every if you're doing your job and everything is going right, then what is wrong? What 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 could be the problem then? If it's not you, the president of the United States who is at the helm, who is who has the reins of the country, or at least is supposed to. If it's not you, then what is it? Because if it's a, a systematic flaw within the way that our country is being operated outside of the presidency, which is you know. Obviously, with the way that our government's run and how many layers there are, it's probably more likely that there's obviously a, 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 some systematic problems. But the only variable that changed between when things were going well with our economy and our, you know, worldwide, um, you know, buy-in and, and our relationships with Russia and China were going well was, was not that long ago, almost approximately to the day, 365, exactly 365 days ago. And if you think that is a coincidence that less than, you know, 300 or so day, 365 days within the, the, the presidency changing that Russia has for the last however many months, I'm sure it's been at least six to eight to 10, probably since the day he took office, um, been planning this attack because they know that President Biden doesn't have the balls to do anything about it. He's not going to send troops there he, because he's, you know, his son is probably drew a beautiful bullshit ass picture of a, you know, a, a stick figure for Vladimir Putin that's sitting above his desk. <laughs> you know, he can't do anything, right? He can't do these things because the people that are controlling him won't allow it, right? So he has to sit here and go, oh, well, we're going to give sanctions. And you'll see that when we look at the very next topic, which is going to be the Russia situation, because, you know, and we're actually going to take a little bit deeper of a, a look into the Russia situation, because it's not something I'm super familiar with, um, why these things are happening, why they're going to war, allegedly, um, you know, obviously allegedly, because it's not generally the reason that they're giving the public why they're going to war. Um, but I know last week they said that there was there was some proposed uh, or some CIA uh, document or governmental agency that said that they were concerned about Russia committing a false flag and using it as an excuse to go after Ukraine. Um, and that was like last week. <clears throat> and now they're saying it's a for sure thing we believe he's going to go into Ukraine. Um, so we're going to dive into that in, in just a moment here. Um, but, you know, to me, watching this, you know, the president of the United States sit here and, and push off any responsibility, any responsibility at all for the things that have happened within our country, specifically in the last year, um, is terrifying. I mean, not terrifying because obviously, you know, to, to me, it, it's more so just shows his, you know, it is terrifying, I guess, because Russia is about to go to war with Ukraine. They're absolutely, he just said, it's almost a for sure thing. They believe he's going to go to war and whether they go into war a little bit or a lot of it is going to depend on our reaction. Not don't go to war. Right. So the fact that he's pushing off any and all responsibility 
any responsibility at all for the things that have gone wrong over the last year should be concerning because at what point will you take responsibility? And if you're not taking responsibility publicly, are you taking responsibility privately at least? Do you believe that you can change the way that or the direction that our country is going? Because if you don't, leave. Leave office. Go let somebody come into office who's actually going to make a change and a change for the better with right intentions. Not the intentions that are going to make their drug addict, pedophile, disgusting son the most money. But somebody who's going to come in and do what's right for the country. Somebody who's going to come in with beliefs for where they actually want to see our country go. Beliefs for where they want to see their, their, their children's lives and, and the direction that their children's lives go. And, and the education systems and, and, and the problems that are really within our country it be, be pushed in a better direction. And that's not Joe Biden. He's shown that. He's been in office or he's been a, in some form of politics for 165 years at this point. Um, you know, almost, you know, since the, the, the Jesus was president. Um it's it's crazy to me that that, that nobody and, and again I'm no I'm not seeing anybody push back on this. He took no responsibility for any of the negative things. And you can sit here and look at charts. You can sit here and use math, statistics, real science, data, and facts to figure out that what he's done so far has been not good. Every major plan he promised to pass, including the Build Back Better plan, which is basically just a um, Trojan horse to uh, siphon money to, to directly to the Chinese Communist Party by, A, getting out of Afghanistan and allowing the, the Chinese government to make a deal with the Taliban to have the rights to all of the lithium deposits in Afghanistan, one of the most lithium-rich countries in the world. And then, in the same two months that you left Afghanistan... Submit a bill to allow for a $6,000 uh, tax grant to people who are going to buy those lithium batteries from the Chinese Communist Party through electronic vehicles? I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that's what the Afghanistan retreat was about. The Afghanistan failure was about. Was relieving our duty to protect Afghanistan and allowing China to, because they did it. They, they, they made a deal within, what was it, weeks, not even, of us leaving Afghanistan. And not only did we do that, but we left them how many billions of dollars worth of military equipment. And then they, China came in and specifically made a deal for all of the lithium deposits. And then within two months, the Build Back Better Plan, Build Back Better Plan, it includes, a, I believe it's $6,000 grant, federal grant, tax money that you earned and paid our government. They are basically just siphoning back to China. So not only did they give them the lithium on the backs of the deaths of every military soldier who fought against Al-Qaeda, who fought against the Taliban, who fought against ISIS in those areas, on the, 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 the coffins of those who fought against the, the, the terrorists, who were over there. They're now going to not only give them billions of dollars of the most advanced military equipment in the world, then they're going to spoon feed China all of the lithium in Afghanistan, and then they're going to buy it back from them at a $6,000 per person grant of your money that you paid the government for, through taxes. I don't know where that sentence started, but I know this Build Back Better stuff is bullshit. Crazy. Crazy to me that that was included in that bill. And I, immediately, within two months, two months of the bill, uh, of, of us leaving Afghanistan, that Build Back Better plan had that within, within it. 
So let's 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 go into this a little bit. Let's find out why maybe Russia is actually considering going to war or is going to go to war with Ukraine. What that could possibly mean for NATO relationships, um, what that could mean for the United States and me and you, and why Russia is even doing that in the first place. So first, we're going to watch the quick video um, of Biden talking about it. Then we're going to read a, an article that I found that hopefully gives us some good inf information on it. So let's go ahead and watch it. In June, uh, you said to us uh, about President Putin, I think the last thing he wants now is a Cold War. Now, since then, of course, you've seen him gather these troops, 100,000 troops around Ukraine. Your Secretary of State said today he thought he could invade it at any moment. You've seen the cyber attacks, uh, and you've seen the demand that he have a sphere of influence in which you would withdraw all American troops and nuclear weapons from what used to be the Soviet bloc. So I'm wondering if you still think that the last thing he wants is a Cold War. And has your view of him changed in the past uh, few months? And if it has, and he does invade, would your posture be to really move back to the kind of containment policy that you saw so often when you were still in the Senate? The answer is that um, I think he still does not want any full-blown war, number one. Number two, do I think he'll test the West, test the United States and NATO as, as uh, Significantly as he can, yes, I think he will. But I think he'll pay a serious and dear price for it that he doesn't think now will cost him what it's going to cost him. And I think he'll regret having done it. Now, whether or not, uh, I think that, uh, how can I say this uh, in a public forum? Uh, I think that he is dealing with what I believe he thinks is the most tragic thing that's happened to Mother Russia, in that the Berlin Wall came down, the empire has been lost, the near abroad is gone, etc. The Soviet Union has been split. Um, but think about what he has. He has eight time zones, burning tundra that will not freeze again naturally. A situation where he has a lot of oil and gas, but he is trying to find his place in the world between China and the West. And so I'm not so sure that he has uh, David, I'm not so sure he has uh, is certain what he's going to do. My guess is he will move in. He has to do something. And by the way, I've indicated to him the two things he said to me that he wants, guarantees of it. One is Ukraine will never be part of NATO. And two, that NATO or the there will not be strategic weapons stationed in Ukraine. Well, we can work out something on the second piece, pretending what he does along the Russian line as well, the Russian border in the European area of Russia. On the first piece, we have a number of treaties internationally and in Europe that suggest that you get to choose who you want to be with. But the likelihood that Ukraine is going to join NATO in the near term is not 
very likely based on much more work they have to do in terms of democracy and a few other things going on there and whether or not the major allies in the West would vote to bring Ukraine in right now. So there's room to work if he wants to do that. But I think, as usual, he's going to... Well, I probably shouldn't go any further, but I think it will hurt him badly. In June. So uh, he just kind of gave us why, at least a roundabout way or, or maybe a snippet of why this is happening. And it sounds, you know, the, the, the things that he just said <laughs> and what Biden just said was, well, maybe, you know, he wants two things from us, you know, and we, we, we're not going to give him everything he wants. Well, may, maybe we'll give him the second one. The second one being, uh, you know, not having uh, NATO weaponized military or, or weapons in Ukraine specifically, obviously, because it may be a threat to Russia. And then, you know, he says, so, so we, maybe we can sit down and work that one out. But, but, you know, the first one he wants is that Ukraine won't be a part of NATO. And I think, I think that we're probably not going to do that either. So what he just said to this reporter is, we're going to give him everything that he wants to ensure, you know, maybe not even to ensure that, but just, we're going to give him everything he wants. Um, we're not going to fight back. We're not going to do anything about this. We're going to give him everything he wants. He just said it. He has two demands and we're going to fill them all like, <laughs> um, way to go. Uh, so, um, but he, but he did kind of outline maybe why this, this is happening a little bit. It sounds like Putin feels threatened by the idea of NATO having weapons in Ukraine or Ukraine being used, um, to position weapons closer to Russia and Ukraine specifically having the opportunity to join NATO. And I, I hopefully we'll find out in this article that I'm reading right after this um, that we'll read together why specifically it's a problem if Ukraine goes to NATO. And forgive me if you are, you know, much more educated on this topic. I'm, I'm glad you are. Um, but it's not one that I've been following super closely. I don't even, you know, we're going to find out hopefully how long this has even been going on for this to be an issue. Um, but I'm not very educated on it. So hopefully if you aren't educated on it, let's get educated together. And if you are educated on it, awesome. Let's see if we find out something that you don't already know. Um, so let's go ahead and read this article. Um, and I think you should go, go listen to majority of that, uh, that Joe Biden, um, questioning. Um, I, I do think it's interesting. I think it's interesting insight into why, uh, you know, um, or, or maybe why he was kept so far away from us for so long. Um, and also kind of the, the sentence structure and where his mental capacity is at right now. And, and kind of, uh, you know, there was some interesting questions that were asked and he danced around virtually all of them without, you know, and he, he doesn't even finessely dance around these things. He just like kind of babbles because he forgot the question and then never actually answers it and then gets confused and then calls somebody else. So <laughs> I think that was basically the theme of what happened um, through this questioning. Uh, but there, there was one more portion of that that I thought maybe we could listen real quick. There was a female reporter um, who uh, basically questioned him and, and pried a little bit further because she was thought it was interesting how he said, it's going to, our, our response is going to depend widely on what they do. So let's see, maybe let's, let's pull this question up here and then Sorry. we'll go ahead and read that article on what is actually going on in Russia. So here is this part, and then maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that and then dive into that article. The sanctions that you have threatened if it invades, and it depends. President, um, I wanted to follow up briefly on a question asked by uh, Bloomberg 
You said that Russia would be held accountable if it invades, and it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion, and we end up having to fight about what to do and what not to do. Are you saying that a minor incursion by Russia into Ukrainian territory would not lead to the sanctions that you have threatened, or are you effectively giving Putin permission to make a small incursion into the country? <laughs> Good question. Um, so it did sound like, didn't it? The most important thing to do, big nations can't bluff, number one. Number two, the idea that we would do anything to split NATO, which would be a, have a profound impact on one of, I think, profound impact on one of Putin's objectives to weaken NATO, would be a big mistake. So the question is, if it's a something significantly short of uh, a significant invasion, or not even significant, just major military forces coming across, for example, okay. Uh, it's one thing to determine that if they continue to uh, to use cyber efforts, well, we, we can respond the same way. So are we way dumping out? Cyber. Um, they have FSB people in yeah, Ukraine Brian, are we now out trying of the to speech, then? undermine uh, the solidarity within Ukraine about Russia and to try to promote Russian interest. Um, but it's very important that, uh, that we keep everyone in NATO on the same page. And that's what I'm spending a lot of time doing. And there are differences. There are differences in NATO as to what countries are willing to do depending on what happens, the degree to which they're able to go. And I want to be clear with you. The serious imposition of sanctions relative to dollar transactions and other things are things that are going to have a negative impact on the United States as well as a negative impact on the economies of Europe as well. A devastating impact on Russia. And so I got to make sure everybody's on the same page as we move along. I think we will if there's something that is that where there's Russian forces crossing the border, killing Ukrainian fighters, et cetera. I think that changes everything. But it depends on what he does is exactly what extent we're going to be able to get total unity on the, Russia, on the uh, NATO front. If I may ask a quick one on Iran. I All right. So so he had a few things there. What's always interesting to me, and he, he did. I'm proud of him. Joe Biden, if you're listening to this podcast, and I know the likelihood is probably very great that you are. Good job. I'm, I'm very impressed that you started the sentence. And then at one point, you even came back to the original point of the question and, and finished your thought there. That was very impressive to me. I applaud you. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's always a game, right? It's like every time he starts a sentence, is it going to like go off on this crazy tangent? And then we have no idea where he's going or how he got to this point and, and what question he's really thinks he's answering or whether he's actually going to answer the question. And then I think that was probably the only time where he actually came in back and said that, you know, it depends on what he does and to what extent we're going to be able to, you know, have total unity within NATO and, you know, what response we're going to have. So he actually did finish that one. I'm very impressed, Joe, um, Mr. President. <laughs> um, but so to me, you know, the next thing that he talks about there, the first thing, actually, the, the way he opened that is big, uh, what did he say? Um, powerful, the most powerful countries in the world cannot bluff. So to me, if you've ever played poker, and maybe I'm wrong when it comes to international relations and war, but usually it's the biggest countries who can bluff 
the most. If you have all of the chips, usually it's much easier for you to bluff people out because you know how little chips they have, right? From a, you know, uh, um, analogy standpoint, right? If you have all the chips and, and you have more chips than anybody and there's two of you who have the chips, right? You know, um, and there's six people who don't have very many chips, you can throw in three chips. And if that gets everybody out, you might have 30 of them, right? This analogy is going too far. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, the basis is if you have all the damn chips, you get to bluff all you want, right? The, 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 you don't get, you know, you're not generally bluffing if you're very low on chips. Um, I, I don't know if that rung true with you. I'm sorry, but it did to me. It made sense. At least when I started that thought, and at least I came back around to it. Right. Um, but to me, it's like, it, you know, if you if you're the largest, when can you bluff then? You know, and, and why does it have to be a bluff? Why do we have to be bluffing that if you go and you know obliterate a country that has very very little means to defend themselves without us supporting them and giving them weapons and troops and and black ops military to help them complete real missions and train them, which is what will end up happening, like always ends up happening when these things happen. Um, if you know, if you can't bluff, why why do you have to bluff? Why is that a problem? Why is it a problem that if somebody's going to invade another country and they shouldn't do that morally, you know, and that maybe that gets into the multinational way that we dip our hands in all these, you know, wars. So maybe, maybe we shouldn't be, but, but, but again, you know, I, I found that statement to be interesting. You know, we can't bluff. We're America. America's been bluffing for a very long time <laughs> in a lot of different situations. Um, this wouldn't be the first time. So I thought that was interesting. And then the last thing that he said, um, you know, was kind of danced around that question. And eventually it came to a point where, you know, maybe he realized what the actual question was. So let's dive a little bit deeper into what is actually going on in Russia. Um, and I'm going to read this article to you and then we'll talk about it. So um, just a few minutes left here. So stay, stay with me. You're doing great. Um, I hope you're learning something real quick. We are just hitting an hour here. You've been listening to me for a while and, and you heard me at the very beginning and I asked you to subscribe. And if you did, I thank you. And if you have, I thank you even more. Um, but if you haven't, you've been listening for an hour and I know that you're enjoying this. And I know that you want to press that subscribe button. So go ahead and do so. If you're still listening and you are subscribed, thank you so much. Go subscribe on YouTube, right? And if you're subscribed on YouTube and you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, you know, leave a five-star review. I would appreciate that a ton. Um, and uh, follow the Substack. Um, we're going to be putting out all of the videos that we just watched. Every single one of them. All the videos, all the interviews, all of the portions of the interviews, the specific timestamps, the actual, um, you know, the article that we're going to be discussing here. All of it is going to be released within a day or two on Substack. So I think that's pretty cool, right? If I liked a podcast, I thought, you know, it'd be really cool to be able to give you guys that information. So um, go follow the Substack. It's free to sign up. That podcast companion is free. The deep dive that we're going to be going into and maybe on some of these questions that he was asked and some of the information that we talked to you about today, the long form article that I'm going to be writing up um, is a part of that paid subscriber base. It's $7 a month, a dollar seventy something a week. <laughs> um, so uh, go ahead and subscribe. If you're a free uh, subscriber and you like that podcast companion, go ahead and pay that $7 and uh, get in on the deep dive articles that we're going to be putting out every week now that is only for paid subscribers. So this article was one that I found. I just typed into uh, DuckDuckGo. Um, why is Russia invading Ukraine. And, and I thought it might be a good idea it's using Substack myself to find some independent creators um, who had an independent opinion that wasn't maybe tied to a, a large media organization and see what they had to say about it. So I typed in Substack, 
why is Russia invading Ukraine? And this is what it comes up. So it's an article by uh, Henry Bolton. Henry Bolton, uh, according to his own self, is the uh, BRIT PAC chairman, British PAC chairman, former national politician, political leader, and Brexit campaigner, previous a British Army captain, um, and some other things that uh, he says about himself. So um, this was written on January 18th, yesterday uh, at the height on Tuesday um, of the situation. So to start it off, this article is named, the likelihood is that Russia will invade Ukraine. Here's why and what the objectives are likely to be. Russia has deployed an estimated 100,000 to 125,000 troops, around 75% of Russia's total ground combat power, to Ukraine's eastern border. President Putin has issued demands and threats to Ukraine and NATO has launched swathing cyber attacks against Ukraine and has increased the rhetoric aimed at his domestic audience. All the signs are that the Kremlin is poised to strike, but will they, and if so, at what and why? In addition to the Black Sea deposits in the Crimean waters, Ukraine has massive gas reserves in the east of the country. I don't know why I said that like that. East of the country. <laughs> In particular, the huge U, I'm not going to pronounce it, Y-U-Z-I-V-S-K-E, Yuzivsky field. With these deposits, Ukraine holds 5.4 trillion cubic meters of gas, the third largest reserves in Europe. When Russia occupied Crimea in 2014, Ukraine lost. And Russia gained the huge gas deposits under the Scythian section of the Black Sea Shelf. The Black Sea Shelf deposits had been under exploration for several years, and Ukraine finally awarded the licenses for their exploration in August of 2012. <clears throat> Ukraine did not possess the technology or expertise to exploit the deposits itself. They are very deep, and so the contracts were inevitably going to go abroad. <clears throat> Given the very close association between the Ukrainian president, Viktor Yanukovych, and President Putin, the Kremlin expected the contracts would be issued to the Russian energy giant Gazprom. But the Kremlin should have foreseen a problem. Until the Russian occupation of Crimea and the Donbas in eastern Ukraine, Ukraine imported almost all of its gas from Gazprom. Gazprom had in turn imposed numerous price hikes in Ukraine, and Ukraine's gas distributor, Naftagaz, has struggled to pay the bills. But 2014, Naftagaz owned Gazprom, um, owed Gazprom $4.5 billion in U.S. currency. Because of the repeated price hikes and resulting tensions between Gazprom and Naftagaz, Ukraine had been trying to establish order um, other non-Russian supplies. It turned to Europe for them, and when the contract licenses were issued for the exploitation, um, of Ukraine's uh, gas, they went not to Gazprom in Russia, but to the group that led by American ExxonMobil, um, but to a group led by American ExxonMobil, but and including Dutch, British, Royal Dutch, Shell, and Romanian OMV Pretrum, um, working with the Ukrainian state company Nadra. I'm sorry for all the pronunciation on that. That was a lot of Ukrainian words and companies. <laughs> in the meantime, as I say, Ukraine was looking to diversify its gas supply. Um, here enters the U European Union and one of the causes of Russian anger towards the UE. Europe at the time, in 2013, imported about 39% of its gas from Russia. Um, in 2019, it was 41%, so it's gone up in the last seven years, uh, nine years. And much of the gas that Ukraine wanted to import from the EU was in fact redirected Russian gas. 
Gazprom contracts and UE energy importing companies forbade such redirection and resale, but in 2006, the clauses were removed because they infringed an Article 81 of the European Community Treaty on Restrictive Business Practices. Legally, this meant that Europe companies had every right to re-export gas, no matter where they got it from. Indeed, Ukraine now imports most of its gas from Hungary and Poland. But can anyone really see President Putin accepting such things passively? So it sounds like there's been this kind of gas war, um, this like resource and mineral war. You know, it's interesting talking on the backs of the idea of Afghanistan being left for China with the lithium deposits to later be passed as the Build Back Better plan, which was going to give them the $6,000 grant per person. And with millions and millions of people buying electric cars, that would mean the millions and billions and trillions of dollars to China from your tax dollars that we gave up Afghanistan for. Interesting. But I digress. As an aside, as an aside, I don't know how I feel about this guy's writing. As an aside, maybe it's because he's from Britain, you know, or the UK or something. I don't remember where he's from. Where's he from? He's the Brit Pack chairman. So whatever that tells you. Assuming he's British. <laughs> so maybe um, they say that in uh, Britain. Um, given the very close association, let's see if we can find where we were at. As an aside, um, consider the Russian involvement in resisting the pro-EU maiden protests in Kyiv 2013 in the context of access to Ukrainian gas. Access to the Ukrainian gas fields is a large part of the reason that the Kremlin was and is still so sensitive about Ukraine cozying up to the European Union. So it sounds like, like a mineral war between the uh, you know European Union, Russia, and you know even the United States being in on it with Exxon. So when, when in 2014 Russia occupied Crimea, Ukraine lost the Black Sea hydrocarbon fields. Um, and there's some lists of names there that I'm not gonna butcher. Um, and that were under the promising exploration. Then if we look at the fighting in the East, of the country in 2014, Ukraine nearly lost the town of uh, uh, Slovenask mm. <laughs> and backed rebels of the so-called um, republics. Um, so let's go on a little bit for, more here. So it says, but let's look briefly at what would have happened if Russia had not occupied Crimea. Let's move on. We don't care about that. So why might Russia initiate hostilities again in Ukraine? In fact, hostilities between Ukraine and Russia backed rebels in the east have never quite ceased. But if we assumed based on the above that the Kremlin's objective in 2014 and 15 was to secure Ukraine's gas deposits in the Black Sea and east of the country so as to extend and maintain economic and political leverage over EU economies. And if we assume that those objectives were not fully reached, pro-Russian rebels failed to retain their occupation um, and therefore control over the massive Yuzivska gas field, Yuzivska gas field, and then yes, hostilities at some point are likely. Combat indications. Um, so what is pointing us to the fact that this could happen? Right? Why do people believe that this is going to be a for sure thing that Russia is going to invade the Ukraine? Well, 100,000 100, to 125,000 Russian troops are on the border right now. Um, very recent deployments of Russian troops to the Belarus-Ukraine border um, and the Ukrainian border, the northern Ukrainian border. The rhetoric and threats, preparation of the political and diplomatic battlefield coming out of the Kremlin. Um, Putin's options. So this person thinks that they are presenting his options here. And he says either do nothing. I, um, that's his first option. <laughs> um, two, drive military forces into the rebel-held areas of eastern Ukraine and bring those areas into the Russian Federation, uh, much like he did in South Ossetia. 
Wow, I'm very not familiar with this area in Georgia um, or these names, so my, my fault. Um, but option two is uh, projecting beyond the boundaries of the present area under pro-Russian control to occupy the area up to the furthest extended of the 2019 front line um, in order to gain significant control of those gas field deposits. And then five is just invade all of Ukraine. So it's either saying either he's going to go after these specific sections of Ukraine, either invading from the top and trying to take over these areas, um, or, you know, he's going to do nothing, um, or he's going to, you know, try to just invade the entirety of Ukraine and uh, do it that way. Now, what we saw from Biden is that he's going to give a very intense slapping on the hand if you decide to murder all of these people. Right. We've decided as a group. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Like, I, I, you know, I'm not very familiar to, you know, and forgive me. I'm, I'm this is the 13th episode. I'm diving deep into this stuff. <laughs> I'm learning a lot. Um, but, uh, you know, given the, the relationship, obviously, is in some light where we're willing to give sanctions against Russia because of what's going on in Ukraine with these corporations um, in the gas lines and everything. Um, because of that, um why, you know, if, if, okay, here's, here's a better situation. You're at a bar and in some way this, you know, this person, right? You got a buddy there. Maybe you don't know him. You're not best friends. You know, he's not, he's not Canada, um, but, but he's Ukraine, right? He's your Ukrainian kind of friend, right? Um, you know, he, you know, he's, he's not, uh, he's not hanging here. Your buddy from the, you know, the Dominican Republic who's sitting right, right by you all the time. You know, he's, he's a little far, he's a little far, but sometimes you, you hang out and you get a beer together, right? But this guy's just getting his you know, there's a huge guy at the bar and you're a big dude too. Let's say you're six foot five, but you know, Ukraine's like five foot four and you see a six, another six foot five guy going right up to your Ukrainian, your, you know, your buddy Ukraine, who's five foot four and getting in his face and, and talking about how he's going to beat his ass. And you go, Hey, Russia. And that's his name in this situation, Russia. Hey, Russia, you know, if, if you beat the hell out of my friend Ukraine here and kill him, you know, I'm, I'm really not going to pay this bar tab for you. Now, now I might. I, 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 we could probably figure something out. <laughs> but but I'm not going to pay this bar tab for you. What 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 likelihood do you think that is that that's going to persuade him? Um, it, especially if, you know, there's a tremendous financial incentive involved in, in obviously, you know, outside of this funny bar analogy, invading Ukraine and taking over all of their oil deposits. So... Interesting. It, it, it is, you know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what's coming up. And, and it may be within the very next episode, we find out that they invade Ukraine and it, and it may take months and, and hopefully it doesn't happen, you know. Um, but time will tell. Um, hope you guys learned something today. I, I think this was a pretty interesting episode. And, I, you know, more so for me, it was it was uh, looking at that Biden interview and seeing kind of where his thoughts are, where we are at, and, you know, kind of seeing where his mental capacity is, because we haven't had a long form conversation with him like that before, um, at least not during his presidency for an hour and 20 minutes. Um, so interesting to me. I hope you found it interesting. And uh, next week, we're going to have a great episode too. So thank you so much for joining me. Go ahead and hit that subscribe button right now. Join us on Substack, redpillrevolution.substack.com. Go ahead and join us on Instagram at redpillrevolt. Um, you'll be able to see all the reels that we're putting out of all the short, you know, each topic, basically every single week, every single topic, every video I do a reel on. That's just a quick 60 second snippet um, of what we talked about. And so join us there. Um, and uh, if you want to go ahead and uh, donate, I would appreciate it. You know, this is really something I'm really excited about the way that it's growing. And I'm really excited about the prospect of being able to give this more time, you know, and, and already it's a, t it is, a, it is quite the time 
taker. Those reels take about, you know, an hour, two hours, three hours sometimes um, to put together. And, uh, you know, hopefully I'll get better as it, at it as time goes on um, and, and it'll be less time. But, but I'm, you know, I don't see how it could get much less time. So um, hopefully I can start to devote more time to this. I would love to start doing more episodes. Um, and I hope that you found enough in this podcast to, uh, you know, you tip your waiter um, if they gave you good service and, you know, you don't really hang out and talk with them for an hour and 20 minutes about Ukrainian political beliefs uh, and if Russia is going to invade and if our president is in cahoots <laughs> with, uh, you know, Pfizer and all of these other corporations. So um, go ahead. Give Sango uh, slash or dot com slash Red Pill Revolution. Give Sango dot com slash Red Pill Revolution. You can donate directly on there um, or you can go directly to our link tree from our Instagram. There's like this cool little tip jar that you can press and give like a dollar, five dollars, twenty dollars, um, whatever, you know, whatever you feel um, is worth this amount of time that we shared here together. So um, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it so much. I, I, I truly do. Um, my name is Austin and uh, I hope you guys have a great day. Welcome to the revolution. Thank you for joining me.